0: Welcome to the Ferris Love Shrine podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. In this episode, we're talking again with Monica Hinderer, a licensed professional counselor who specializes in adolescence. Now, before we dive in, if you missed our last episode, episode 10, in which we talked with Monica about what is anxiety, how to recognize it in your children, and some tips for coping, go back now and listen to that. Because this part two, we're going to talk about anxiety trends and some causes that are making us more present in our culture today. You're going to want to hear episode 10 before you listen to episode 11. So welcome, Monica. Thanks for having me back. Yep. We're excited to talk about this um, and dive more deeply into these trends when it mm. comes to anxiety and our children. Yeah. So tell me from your practice itself, what are some of these trends that you're seeing when it comes to anxiety?
1: Hmm. I would say post pandemic, um, anxiety and depression has increased 25%, which is h- historically high. I mean, we have not seen a jump like that. It's It's pretty unprecedented actually. And so um, there, There's a lot of trends. So I would say a lot of kids are having a very hard time socially, I would say. It's one of the mm-hmm. things I'm um, noticing. And I would say that there's been a pretty significant increase in panic attacks. So that's the kind of, I, I would say, the most extreme form of anxiety. That's kind of, if we look at it as sort of a spectrum, starting with the baby stress, we're a little stressed from our day, all the way up to a full-blown panic attack, Um, And I would say a lot of kids now are experiencing panic attacks.
0: Sure. So before we dive into panic attacks, because I do want to talk about that and kind of what that is, what your body's doing. Um, When you say kids often are having a hard time socializing now post pandemic, and that's one of the kind of factors that you're seeing, what what does that mean? Like, what does that look like for a child?
1: Yeah. So I would say that, Really what we've seen is a social emotional aggression. I think one of the things that um, when we kind of shut everything down and we moved everything virtual, we might be able to replicate the academics virtually. Mm-hmm. However, school is far beyond the academics and it's social and emotional as well. And so there's a lot of social, social and emotional learning that happens in school, with our peers, in the class, at recess, at the lunch table that we lost. And so because these are skills that are learned, if we stop practicing, we regress. And so what we're seeing is this regression in children and adolescents, even young adults, their social um, awareness, their social skills, communication skills. And one of the difficult things with that is they're very aware now, right? Mm -hmm. That this is uncomfortable and what are people saying? And it's hard to have conversations and it's hard to look people in the eyes sometimes, or it's hard to navigate these weird things, which is just causing a lot of anxiety. Or I haven't been in a classroom in a really long time and it's stressful to have to raise my hand and it's overstimulating, right? That I went from home with not a lot of stimulation to now a classroom and peers and a teacher mm-hmm. speaking, and people talking and bright lights. And it can feel really overwhelming for a lot of us to mm-hmm. be back in these settings. Um, even if your child was in school, um, if they, if they were fortunate enough to be in school in mm-hmm. 20- one, um <clears throat> they were probably still very restricted in what they could or couldn't do. Right. And so sure. they weren't engaging with their peers. Typically um, peer or social interaction was kind of frowned upon in a lot of schools, right. To keep everybody safe, to keep sure. our distance. Um, we fall out of practice. It sounds kind of crazy, but we fall out of practice with like reading people's facial expressions and, and body language. Right. And so it's, it's harder to gauge are they mad or they matter or they not. And, and, those are all really key developmental things that our kids missed out on. And what mm-hmm. we're seeing is, um, is sort of a delay in that, in that skill set development or a regression, um, depending on how social your kid was or was not throughout the pandemic.
0: Sure. And then that causes anxiety because if, if you can't read a facial expression, you don't know if your teacher's mad or glad with what you just said or whatever, that's got to be really hard yeah. and cause a lot no. of anxiety and stress.
1: You're out of practice talking to your peers. Think about typically, like let's let's imagine mm, middle school middle school girls, right? Mm-hmm. Hard time, hard time. Typically, <laughs> right? A lot mm-hmm. of changes happening for middle school girls. A uh, lot of social pressures, a lot of hormones, a lot of things happening. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say you put an eighth grader, but an eighth grader hasn't been in school for two years because of the pandemic, so their social and emotional skills are that of a sixth grader, right? right and so now but you add the the awareness that an eighth grader has you add that level of um kind of self-awareness in 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 how you're interacting with your peers in this fear of people are judging you mm-hmm. all very normal things but now there is a deficit you have you sort of there's a skill deficit where you're kind of relearning how to interact with your peers and you're relearning how to have those awkward conversations or and for some people, there are obviously some kids who are very um socially adept, right? And they're gonna they're just kind of thriving, they just have that skill set. And some, some don't, right? So maybe our more introverted kiddos are um our quieter ones, or you know, the ones that aren't as into you know the socially traditional things, like I, I'm thinking of like the star athlete and sure. the you know, class mm-hmm. clown you know, those kids, um, although regressed can pick up quickly, mm-hmm. some other kids can't. And so it's causing a lot of, um, it's causing a lot of distress, a lot of anxiety to be back in these social situations.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes, that makes total sense. Last summer, I ran a summer camp for about a hundred girl, like middle school age girls. And I was just, impressed is not the right word but surprised yeah. I guess at the lack of kind of social skills a lot of them had mm-hmm. like cutting other kids in line but like not realizing they shouldn't and when you pointed out to them mm-hmm. they' like but I but I was hungry like <laughs> great but there are 40 people waiting in line also who are hungry but like and like kind of clueless and not not ill will not no. they were like mean kids or bullied, like they literally just, missed those social cues of like standing in line at the cafeteria or whatever. And things like that were just very apparent mm-hmm. last year at this, at the summer camp. So I can imagine even more so, especially for people who weren't in school, maybe full-time this year or were in school, but fully masked this year, that that would be uh, mm-hmm. challenging for them for sure. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, you know, I think that um, this trend has been growing and we, we've we been studying it a lot and it's completely the, the pandemic is irrelevant to it, but the the shift in our social dynamics and understandings with the the increase of social media and yeah. our our um, our laptops, our phones, our devices has shifted how we see and experience peer interaction. And mm-hmm. so it's already been shifting, right? Um, there's already been an increase in social pressure. There's already been an increase in, and so what I have found is you take this growing social media presence, this growing technology. One of the things that that's doing is it's constantly stimulating our children, right? Mm -hmm. They are being, they are being constantly stimulated. Sounds, noises, those are the same things, sound, noise, um, images, all of that, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then you add the social pressure onto it. How many likes did my picture get? How pretty Mm -hmm. am I? And so now your child used to, children used to only have, you know, the 30 people in their class to compare themselves to. And then that comparison ended and they went home. Mm -hmm. Now your child has millions of people throughout the world using a variety of filters to compare themselves to. And so there's, increase in or i should say a decrease in self-esteem an increase in um, anxiety and we're kind of learning this really interesting peer dynamic through likes and comments and shares Mm -hmm. and, and what does that mean and so you take all of that and then add the pandemic in which we isolated right a lot of kids and their only lifeline was that phone. Their only mm-hmm. interaction was social media for many, many children. And mm-hmm. so we're kind of seeing, you know, kids are having a hard time interacting in person.
0: Mm. They,
1: they'll get together and they're all on their phones. Yeah. Right. Um, they have a very hard time. And so that is, is causing a lot, there's a big disconnect and it's causing a lot of stress Um, And so I think we kind of have this really interesting concoction right now Mm -hmm. of influences and experiences that are impacting our children.
0: Which could definitely explain that 25% increase in, you know, in anxiety in children today. If you, you know, it's just this imperfect cocktail that came together basically um, to create this for a lot of them. Let's dive a little bit more into social media and talk about that. so in what ways does that cause or or increase anxiety in children um and then I'll ask, you know, how do we work on fixing that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so I would say that um well there there's a variety of things. I think that some kids have unfettered access and they're on it. 24/7, right? For some of my kids, I have them pull their phones out and I have them pull up the app that tracks uh, all of their screen time usage. and I'm like, let's take a look at this, right? Like where are we spending our time? What are we consuming? We need to be aware that we are what we consume. We are the summation of the five people we spend the most time with and we are what we consume. And we need to be very careful about what we take in because our thoughts become our words and our words become actions, mm-hmm. which become habits which become a lifestyle and so i think um, that's the that's kind of one of the things with social media what are we consuming and i often tell parents if you were to ask your if your child was like can i can i go out like out of the house and you would say sure where are you going and who are you going with and your kid would have to tell you where they're going and who they plan on being with and yet somehow we apply that rule to the physical world but not the digital world why mm-hmm. Right. Where are you going? Who are you hanging out with? Right. It doesn't mean that we're these like helicopter parents, like reading through everything. But I also think it's completely within the parents rights to do. Um, I call them safety checks. Right. Mm-hmm. To just be like, Hey, can I see your phone? And and it's not that you're looking for any like dirt or to get them in trouble or to, mm-hmm. to punish them. But it's like, I care about who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And who you're and and what you're seeing, because what they're consuming, if they're following like specific accounts, let's say on their Instagram page, Mm -hmm. that's informing their view of the world. That's informing their experiences and their expectations. And that's important to see. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, quote unquote bad. Like, let's say they're only following like these travel bloggers who are living these like luxurious lives like posting in Greece and then in Norway and then in like, but then your kid has this expectation that like life is always glamorous and it should be traveling and it should always be beautiful and exciting. And they're depressed that their life is mundane.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Which most of us have that life. And even the travel bloggers have that life probably 90% of the time.
1: 90% of the time. And that's right. And that's one of the things I say to my kiddos, 90% of life is mundane. It's ordinary. Right. And that's why right? Mm -hmm. There's beauty in the ordinary. Um, So I think there's that, right? That some kids have unfettered access.
0: And I think this brings up a really good point. Like just like you do in therapy where you have the kids pull up their phones and look at their screen time, right? Like how much time are they spending on the apps? And I'm sure you have good conversations about that. Maybe that is also something really good that parents can do. Not that you need to helicopter over exactly every message they're sending and every image they're posting, but like let's just have a really good conversation about your screen time mm-hmm. and why. why is it that you are enjoying spending so much time on Instagram or on TikTok? And let's talk about that instead of like, I can't believe you spent eight hours yesterday on TikTok, which yeah. is pretty normal. I'm sure you see, you know, most of the kids are spending, you know, eight to 10 hours a day on their phones in some way or another, often on their favorite app.
1: Yeah. Um, I really, with my kids, what I, uh, I like to do is, um, I call it like the, it's like our daily math equation. So I write the number 24 on the board. and we start to subtract, how many hours did you sleep? Okay. What's your number one job? You're in school. Okay. You're in school for seven hours. Okay. Subtract seven. Right. And then the last thing, so then they pretty much come down to, let's say like two or three hours left. Right. Or, and, and you basically – and you pull up their phone and how much time – you spent eight hours on your phone today. Eight hours. Like, where did that time come from? It. Th- and what ends up happening is that as the kids write out everything, how much time did you spend eating? How much time did you spend with, like, you know, going to the bathroom or showering? How much time did you spend with friends? How much time did you spend on homework? They suddenly realize that they've used more than 24 hours in the day. Okay, well, then it's not what's going on, right? So we're not paying attention in school or we're not doing our homework or we're not – even engaging in basic self-care of like, you know, showering and taking care of ourselves, right? A lot of teenagers will like skip that or they're foregoing sleep because of sure. their phone. Right. Um, so I think that's part of it. I would say on the yeah. other end, you might have some listeners who are like, my, my child doesn't have a phone. I don't let them have any access to social media, which sure. is also anxiety provoking and distressing because they feel left out. Mm -hmm. And that's like the number one difficult thing. Like kids live and die by their social interactions, right? Sure. By feeling um, included. They want to be in that in-group. And so it's the equivalent of, you know, uh, when we were kids to be like, can I go to the park? And your parents say, no. Like everybody's at the park. Can I go? They're like, nope, you can't go. You got to stay home today. And you're like, I'm missing out and I feel left out. And so that even on the opposite end of that spectrum, we can still it can still have a negative effect on our kids. And so sure. my recommendation is always moderation, right? Social media right. is not evil, it's not the enemy. But it's not it's not all good, right? Mm-hmm. It should not be the only place your child is getting their social interactions and their peer support and engagement. Right. right? They should learn how to navigate the complicated emotions that come with social media. They should learn to navigate rules and restrictions, limitations for themselves, right? Our mm-hmm. job as parents is to guide our children gently into their freedom, right? right. Because what we don't want is we don't want to put all these rules and restrictions um, that really limit their choice because then they're going to go to college and they're not mm-hmm. going to know how to exer- exercise their freedom. They're not going to know how to see the good and choose the good. Right. And so, you know, thinking of like, little steps, right? Saying, hey, I have a lot of parents and kids create phone rules together. What's the middle ground What's the compromise, right? How much time do you think is an appropriate amount of time to spend on your phone, right? They're going to say all day. And you're going to say, okay, I was thinking an hour, two extremes. Okay, where's the compromise, right? Right. What time do you think the phone should, I don't think phones or laptops, computers should ever be in a bedroom. Mm -hmm. Um, So thinking about okay, what time does the phone have to go Mm -hmm. uh, downstairs or off or, you know, et cetera. Because I think what we're also doing is we're we're teaching them how to take ownership and make their own. And then if they break the rules, we can always come back and we can say, we agreed on this together. Right. right? I didn't impose this. We chose this collectively. right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, that they had taken. And then it also, I think, gives them a sense of um, autonomy, right? This is really important for kids to feel like they're making their own choices, right? And to help them see, look, this is impacting your mental, emotional, and physical health, right? right? Good and bad, good and bad. But it's something that we have to learn moderation with.
0: Right. I love this idea of helping them learn moderation, especially now, well, especially when they're younger, and they're still at home, right? Where they have that support and that love and, and the people there to kind of help them through this process instead of, you know, suddenly they get it in college or beyond. And, and it's harder because they didn't build up that moderation muscle, basically that kind of skill of learning how to moderate, especially social media, which is built to be kind of more addictive and that kind of thing. Like, yeah, maybe you're teaching them moderation in food, um, you know, or, or that kind of a thing at home, but also In this day and age, technology is such a part of our lives and social media is such a part that teaching them healthy moderation, good moderation at home early on is also really, really important. Um, I also love the equation that you did with you helping them understand like where all those hours coming from. One of the other equations that I like to do often with people when talking about social media is to have them pull up um, the screen time, right, numbers and look at the amount of hours they spent this last week on their favorite app, just their favorite app. And then to multiply that by 52 to see how many hours in an entire year on average they spend and then divide that by 24 to see basically how many full 24 hour periods, how many full days of their life they have given to this app. And I always find it mind boggling when I do this with with teenagers, especially because they're like blown away Hmm. because the average I would say is about 25 full 24 hour periods a year that a kid spends on their favorite app mm-hmm. and they're shocked by that because they have, they often just don't know again, because they're lacking that moderation. So they don't even know how much time they've actually spent on this app. And then when they look at it, like big picture, kind of pulled away from today, they're like, Oh, dang, mm-hmm. that, that was a lot. That was a lot more mm-hmm. than I was expecting. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know what I would say? One of the things that's also going to help their anxiety um, and the social media is positive peer supports. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that we look for is uh, this, this positive support. And, you know, one of the things I'm noticing a conversation I have a lot with, um, with my clients is there seems to be this confusion with, you know, I'm around people all, all day or I have friends and I feel lonely. Mm-hmm. Right. And this, this assumption or this belief that loneliness is somehow related to proximity to people and it's not right loneliness is a result of feeling this sense of like not belonging right and you can feel lonely in a crowd of people and so one of those things is to help your children cultivate meaningful relationships right and so like put the phone down how meaningful are you really getting on a phone right like have them invite them over right and so if you want to be that parent we can't just restrict we also have to we also have to build and support, right? And so if, if you don't want them talking to their friends on their phone, you have to be willing to let the friends come to the house, right? Mm-hmm. For your child to hang out with the, their peers. Um, it's also cultivating positive family support, right? Mm-hmm. So you have activities or meals where the phone's not allowed. And that's including the parents. Children learn through modeling. We don't always have to give a lecture. We don't always have to tell them, you know, X, Y, Z, uh, in this, in this very serious way, they learn through modeling. They're going to see what you do and they're going to start to imitate that. And so, you know, I always say to the parents, I'm like, okay, look, like, what phone rules do you have? Right. And it's not that everything has to be equal and kind of this like quid pro quo, but that your child sees that you're not always on your phone, right? That you're engaging socially, that you have time for those conversations Mm -hmm. with them, that you are also cognizant of like, yeah, actually, like, let's take a look at which apps I use the most, Mm -hmm. right? Let's look at my phone. And because we we all have room for growth and improvement in that. And so I think, you know, this idea of build it and they will come, right? Mm -hmm. So build an environment where your child doesn't want to be on the phone, Right. right? Um, an environment that's open and uh, very loving and um, that your kid can see, you know, I think it's really, really important for parents to forgive. Forgiveness mm-hmm. is huge, right? That your child knows they are always forgiven when they come mm-hmm. to you. Acceptance. Acceptance has kind of a, we can, we can have a whole podcast on acceptance because it's kind of a, it's a big word in today's society. Mm-hmm but this radical acceptance, right, that you will love your child mm-hmm. in and through everything. They really need right. to know you. And they also have to see, like, this play and joy with you, right, um, and tools. So those are the four things you can really give your kids, right? And those that's going to help their mental health in general. Anxiety, depression, just an overall sense of well-being, right? And what I mean by tools is, like, tools to cope and handle, right? Right. So mm-hmm. being able to like your child um is gonna be super upset and to be able to say, you know, they come home from school and they're all moody and they're upset and to be able to say, You look frustrated. Yeah. Right? Instead of saying, not saying what's wrong, what happened? Like it's okay to express to help them label their emotions and say, Wow, your tone is telling me that you're really angry. What's mm-hmm. that about? Right? Where's right. the anger coming from? Um right.
0: Instead of to like just get over it, because I think that often is also the thing like just offer it up, offer it up, get over it, move on. Right. And like, yes, it is really important to offer it up. Right. To, to learn that, to not live in our anger, but to figure out or our moodiness or whatever. But also it is really helpful to understand mm-hmm. where those emotions are coming from, to identify them, to understand a little bit better. So that the next time it happens, we're not just like brushing it away again, but we're you know understanding a lot better.
1: Yeah, I think to to accept and acknowledge our emotions does not mean that they rule the roost. Right. Right. This is a kind of I think where society, it's like where there's that disconnect between this, like, rub some dirt on it, get over it, offer it up, you're fine. To this, like, feel and experience everything. Like, okay, mm-hmm. there is this happy middle ground where we can say, we can identify our emotions. We can identify what they're informing us of, what they're compelling us to do or feel experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in that, in acknowledging it, then we can actually make a decision between our rational mind. That's like, it's fine. And our emotional mind where we're like, everything's falling apart. There's Mm -hmm. that wise mind in the middle that's able to say okay, with both of these in mind, what is the next step? And you're like, you know what? I'm having a bad day and that's okay. I'm going to take it easy today and I'm only going to do these things. Right. So we're not pushing through and ignoring and we're also not sinking into.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, I want to circle back to the very beginning of our conversation when we were talking about the pandemic and these kids going two years without kind of that social interaction that comes with school, that kind of very natural learning ground, training ground for them. Um, what what can parents do to kind of help their child get back on track to where they need to be? Mm -hmm. You, you know, you mentioned kind of cultivating these meaningful relationships, but like what are other ways that they can kind of work at that? Because it's not just like shove your kid back into school and like hope for the best after two years of things being so different and very out of whack for so many of them.
1: Some kids are going to have to go to therapy Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Right. Some kids are gonna have to go to therapy because we're at the point where like it's a little it's a little out of control. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're having panic attacks or we're regressing or we're falling behind academically or we're isolating from our peers, we're isolating from our family. So I would say, you know, one of those warning signs is that your child is no longer engaging mm-hmm. in their typical activities. Right. So right your child once really enjoyed reading and they would read in the living room around everybody. And now they're not reading and they're not in the living room and they're in their room, Mm -hmm. right. Or they don't want to come to family dinner or they don't want to talk to you in the car anymore. Now, some of it's like this like typical teen angst, but I think parents know their child well enough to sort of recognize that they're pulling away Mm -hmm. um, because anxiety, if we're going to think about anxiety, anxiety, it prompts us to run away right? Anxiety says run, leave, escape, right? And so if you're starting to see that trend, that could be a really good time to be like, you know what, like therapy might be the next best step, right? Okay. To help them with that. I think the sure. other thing is normalizing it, right? Your kid's having a really hard time. Okay. Yeah. Like you've been out of practice for two years. Like social skills are hard or you know what? It's, when I was your age, right, it's sometimes helpful to share stories, right? That they're they're not alone, they're they're not alone in feeling, you know, uncomfortable. They're not the first person to ever experience social social isolation or bullying or just like a discomfort in like their social skills,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, similar to. <clears throat> What we said in the last podcast, this idea mm-hmm. of journaling, right, helping your kid yeah. just write through and process things instead of keeping it I, either the emotions suppressed or their mind cluttered. Um, mm-hmm. We kind of have to let this out in some way, and so sure. that can be really helpful.
0: Um, mm-hmm. I like to the idea that you mentioned earlier of like inviting kids over to your house and yeah. having them like in small groups or whatever, and having them kind of practice you know, with their friends or with a peer group, or maybe it's like family friends who have kids that are similar age to mm-hmm. kind of practice in an environment that's very safe to your child because your home is is a safer space than necessarily like the playground or a stranger's house or whatever, doing that. And then two kind of tying in that social media aspect of like maybe even collecting the phones or having a basket at the front door mm-hmm. where the phones can go into it. So the kids can literally engage with one another instead of engage even with one another, but through their phones while they're in the same room. Yeah. Kind of doing that too.
1: I would say, you know, anxiety wants us to run away. So I always say move towards Mm -hmm. because the truth of the matter is when we have an overactive, um, kind of alarm system, anxiety response, it's telling us that something is unsafe when it is not. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we want to be really cautious of, let's say your kid is having a lot of anxiety at soccer practice and they are begging you not to make them keep playing soccer Please let me stop. Please let me stop. I don't want to go. Well, what that's going to do is if you let them skip practice, their anxiety is going to go down. And what that's going to say in their mind, their mind is going to say, I knew it. See, I go to soccer and I feel unsafe. I don't go to soccer and then I feel safe, which means soccer is unsafe. Nothing like avoiding that is safe. Okay. And that's reinforcing in our mind to trust that anxiety, that level of anxiety. It's reinforcing that soccer is not safe. And so one of the things is to sort of validate, I know that this is really hard for you. You've, you made it through practice last time, I believe you can do it today. Right? Mm -hmm. Like validating the experience, empowering them to make it through. Because mm-hmm. what we want is we want them to be in that stressful situation and for the for the anxiety to naturally decrease on its own, which sure. will then reinforce in our mind, this wasn't a scary situation, right? Mm-hmm. And so right. I think sometimes what I will say to parents is that um, it's very difficult for parents to tolerate the distress they see in their child, sure. right? Of course. And so... They just, they're like, they're in so much pain. I just, I, I don't want. And so we, we try to save them from their pain. And the thing is like, there's a lot of growth. There's a lot of learning in the pain. And sometimes parents have to tolerate their own discomfort to help their kid get through this. Right. Because if you're able to sit there and say, there is nothing unsafe about soccer, you need
0: to go. Mm-hmm. Sure. That makes total sense. Um, all right. So before we wrap up, we did say we were going to talk a little bit about panic attacks very early on in this episode. So I want to circle back to that. And then we're going to end this episode. So tell us a little bit more about how panic attacks are like the height of anxiety for a lot Mm -hmm. of these kids. What does that look like? How do we cope? How do we deal as parents? How do we help them through that?
1: Yeah. So it's the, um, extreme and excessive form of, um, Anxiety, and so what actually ends up happening is in our nervous system we have that automatic, autonomic nervous system, right? And Mm -hmm. there's there's two there's two sets. There's the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. You and I right now are currently sitting in our parasympathetic. It's like the rest, digest, feed, breed, like that whole just existing, right? Mm -hmm. We then have another system, the sympathetic nervous system, in which that's our fight or flight. That's the emergency system that kicks in when it's like, oh, we need to survive, Mm -hmm. and. When that turns on, that's all. We're in fight, flight, freeze, fawn. We're just surviving. And Mm -hmm. with a panic attack, this is what happens. That we are suddenly in, we're sitting in our bodies in a completely different system because we feel Mm. so threatened, so threatened by whatever is in front of us. And as we can sit here kind of in our rational mind and say, oh, come on, like that history test is not as threatening as standing in front of a moving train. Like, come on. Mm. But our minds, our bodies—they don't know that. All they know is that there's a huge threat that they need to run away from for survival. And so, what ends up happening is, so, so that fight when we kind of get into that, that's the kid who blows up, right? They're really very explosive. They're kind of picking fights, um, and so, or the people who kind of um, run away—they're gonna they're gonna flee the situation, or mm-hmm. they're just they just kind of freeze, they dissociate, they like mentally check out, um, and it's. So we can typically see a panic attack coming on um, based on the physical symptoms, right? So that's going to be an increase in heart rate, um, sweating, uh, body chills, um, feeling nauseous, and then this overwhelming sense of, like, I think I'm dying or I'm going crazy or something's very wrong and I need to get out. Um, And Mm -hmm. so they're going to – a lot of times we're going to see, like – hyperventilating, excessive crying. And this is not the time to be rational with your child and say, what's wrong? Or like, (sighs) go back to class, right? Because to keep this in mind, they're in their sympathetic nervous system at that point, right? Mm -hmm. They are not thinking logically, they're only thinking survival, right? Right. In those moments, I liken it to if you've ever been to the ocean and there are waves crashing, if you just stand there and like lock your legs in and like fight it and that wave hits you, I mean, it's so painful. You get like knocked under and like thrown into the sand and like tumbled around. Mm -hmm. You can learn to kind of jump into that wave and ride it. It's Mm -hmm. far less painful. It's still happening. You're still being pulled by the wave, but it's less painful. And so with panic attacks, the big thing is ride the wave, right? And so you want that kid, you want or yourself to learn how to accept and breathe until it passes, right? Cuz when okay. we're in that state, we're not rationally going to walk ourselves out of it, right? We're in that mm-hmm. fight, fight or freeze and we need to do some breathing techniques, some grounding techniques, kind of tune back in with our body so that we mm-hmm. can start to shift back into that parasympathetic nervous system, right? So maybe the conversation about what happened, what was going on happens the next day. Mm -hmm. We probably don't talk about it because then you also have to think, you know, this kid's going to be exhausted. Their body and their mind, just like this surge of adrenaline, this surge of all of these hormones to get you to survive. Mm -hmm. Now we're crashing, right? They're tired. They're very tired. And so- um, you know, that's something to keep in mind with panic attacks, right? I see them happening a lot at school, um, mm. even at home, maybe like when they start to do like homework, or it's towards the end of the night, they're getting like really overwhelmed from the day. Sure. So some breathing techniques, a cold glass of water, right? And just sit with them, like, just sit down and be like, you know what? And again, back to this idea of modeling, just mm-hmm. breathe. And then mm-hmm. you're going to be breathing in this four counts in four counts out, a very rhythmic, very reasonable breathing pattern. And they're going to slowly start to breathe with you. You don't need to talk. You're just going to sip water and you're going to let this feeling, this physical feeling pass. And it's okay, right? This will be okay. This will pass. Um, so that's kind of like what we're seeing with panic attacks. If your child is having panic attacks, that is a sure sign that they need to be in therapy, right? That, Like at this point. Um, their their nervous system is so deregul- dysregulated and um they're they're lacking sufficient coping skills or awareness yeah. of what's mm-hmm. going on and they need
0: help right to just manage that to figure out what they're doing yep that makes total sense um Monica thank you so much for this conversation for ah. this part two of our anxiety discussion i'm sure so many parents found this very helpful Um, Just in thinking of their children, the world we live in today, and hopefully they got some great nuggets from you on anxiety and and these Mm -hmm. triggers. So thank you. Absolutely. Hope it helped. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ferris Love Shrine podcast. If you enjoyed it, we'd love for you to share the podcast with others so that they too can learn some nuggets to take away. And visit us at ferrisloveshrine.org. Follow us on our social media.